Are we on? Nope. <laughs> Thank you, Dee. There we go. Technical. Technical difficulties. <laughs> Is that what it was? Absolutely. Are we on? We're on. Mo brings, comes in and he breaks everything in the studio. I ruined it. I was touching buttons. Okay, so in case you uh, miss our awesome <laughs> intro, because I did an outstanding job this morning, I <laughs> uh, just wanted to let you know that we are very happy that you're joining us yet again, another Wednesday of Market Overdrive. It is a really cool topic today, something that I'm excited about. Are you excited? I'm super excited. Maybe a lot of people will see that I'm not just full of full of it when I talk to my first time home buyers. What do you mean full of it? You're the last person I could think that it's full a of it. A lot of the times people are skeptical when I'm trying to get first time home buyers to make a multi-unit property their first investment. Well, I, I think people are skeptical overall, right? Just because the, the whole aspect of purchasing is overwhelming. And so it scares a lot of people. And, you know, unfortunately, we're a lot of people in our industry are not trustworthy, and I think we have a bad reputation. Um, but I think and I hope today's uh, show actually inspires all of you, um, especially because we've gotten a lot of happy results. I got a lot of inbox messages from people who are super excited about a topic of living life like a life and air. Do you know exactly. what that is? Exactly. Life like a life and air? Is yeah. that like a new word? <laughs> Webster, you got a new word coming at you. It's not. It's totally hip. It's like all over. Life and air. Life I like air. it. I like it. Living life to its fullest. It's about living life. Exactly. But living life now like you're wealthy versus I spoke with a very savvy gentleman who told me that he read a book that inspired him because he learned that. Some of the regrets that millionaires have when they're older is that, you know, once you're older, you really can't really do much because your body cannot, you know, cannot function as well as it did when you're like, what, 30, 40s. Um, and so why wait till you're a millionaire till you start enjoying your life and, and using your wealth? So I thought that was pretty inspiring. And I thought today's topic would definitely focus on that. Um, obviously, we talk do. about real estate all the time. But today's topic is to inspire you to get out there and really start investing. It's kind of like creating like that lifestyle, right? I always kind of tell people when you're looking at an investment where you're looking at you know your first purchase you always got to look at it kind of like your first vehicle right your first car that you ever buy is not going to be your dream car your dream vehicle but it's going to get you from point a to point b right so i always say you got to be savvy with your first investment and with your first purchase um, especially now i'm thinking that there's a lot of these buyers are more in that age range where they're 24 to 30 years old so they're kind of thinking long term especially when you're talking about like you know the quote-unquote millennials even though i hate the word millennial but a lot of people are looking to make an this investment that's going to set them up for their future and for their retirement. And I always say that a multi-unit investment is always going to be the best thing. Not only that, but if you're looking at it, you're probably getting out of school. You got some debt. You got all these other bills that you're probably trying to pay off. Why not get a multi-unit property where you could reduce your overall cost of living significantly by the supplement of rental income that you were you would receive on a property. And leave it to Javier to just jump on the topic before giving me an opportunity to introduce today's topic. It's the topic <laughs> of conversation. Make a great investment. Go multi-unit. And I'm actually really excited to, uh, with the but people that we have today. But it's not about multi-units, Javi. It's about uh, the it's five about secrets to building residual income. It's residual all about income. Residual no, it's income, not. It's about how to do it and why you want to do it. Go ahead family, and You know what? Uh, just you know, go ahead and introduce our I'm just going to introduce our guests. Please. I have one of the guys that I usually call like the most interesting man in real estate. I had Lawrence Dunning uh, with Main Street Real Estate and also Mo Datka, who's uh, you know, 
owner founder what, what what's the what's the word that we're using for you now for uh, their owner works owner works all right <laughs> not, not quite as interesting as lawrence that's, <laughs> that's, my, ti- that's my title today. well He's you know what the thing with lawrence i actually started following lawrence more as an inspirational because i used to see his workouts you know all of his accomplishments you know his traveling I didn't even know he was doing real estate until Mo introduced me to him at an event. He's like, yeah, this is a guy who does real estate. I was like, And Wait. it was painful to get him to come on the show because I'm like, okay, let's talk about the topic. He's like, you know what, Carla? I really don't like the limelight. I don't want to be on the show. And I'm like, really? <laughs> and then we got into like the inspiration aspect. He's like, that's exactly why I'm coming on the show because I want to share this story. Lawrence, thank you for coming on. Can you please my, my explain pleasure. to our audience, like, really, what brings you into the studio today? Well, firstly, I was asked by Javi, and you can't say no. Look at this guy. <laughs> um, no, I think the, the big thing is I wish that I could tell my 28-year-old self what I know now at 38. I think that's, that's a huge thing. Um, knowledge is power, and uh, we learn through our mistakes, and I made a lot of mistakes in my late 20s and early 30s. And uh, if I could just even just, just help a handful of people not make the same mistakes and even just start off on better footing i guess um that would be that would be a a great a great purpose and that's exactly why we decided to name today's topic the five secrets to building residual income it's because you have a really cool story to share and it's not necessarily a rags to riches story it's more so about the way we're living life today you know we grew up thinking you're going to go to school you're going to get a great education you're going to get a great job you're going to get married you're going to buy a house and you're going to live happily ever after right that's what social like constructive ideas are built and that's what we grew up thinking uh, but you said that in your early 20s uh, you had reach what it is to have you built wealth for yourself and then you saw, found yourself at zero can you please tell us more about that yeah and I think um I think my whole life has been like I'm trying to calibrate between um enjoying the now and living well to trying to build a, a future for yourself a good future so it's it's a constant recalibration and balance um so in my 20s I was all about wealth and you know I, I didn't really have much identity so I was like I'm trying to be a successful guy and and so I was in, tra- in the trading world and I worked very hard I set up my own company um, I took a lot of you know smart risks and leverage and just worked worked very very hard all my 20s and then it got to the stage where I was living very humbly I didn't even have time to spend it really and it got to the stage in my late 20s where I was like actually on paper you know I've, I've got a few million my net worth's a few million um, what is really important so I looked at my seven day week and Monday to Friday was all about work in the evening I would get my workouts in and then the weekend, I would just work out all day, and I had some sporting aspirations that I was trying to follow. So then I decided, well, I'm tw- I think I was just about to turn 30. So I said, I've got my whole life to keep working, to make money, um, but I have a very small window. If I have any kind of physical, athletic goals and dreams, my window's closing. You know, as, as a male athlete, you've got 30 to 35 is kind of your, your peak. So I basically took, took about five years off. I mean, I, work, I traded a little bit, but I basically took five years off and just enjoy life. I traveled, I, I followed my dreams, and I, and I had experiences for a lifetime. But unfortunately, I was very foolish because I just assumed that I could just walk, when I was done with it, I would just walk back into my old life. But of course, that's, that's a huge thing in life is you have these opportunities and they're, they're not always there, you know. There's, there's a time and a season for everything. So, so when it came to actually, okay, I'm, I'm finished with this area of my life, it's time to rebuild my finances. My finances were in disarray and uh and the only smart thing I did was uh, thanks to my friend Mo, who uh, him and I were talking about real estate, and I bought a big commercial property with my dad, um, which kind of saved me. So that's actually my kind of my segue into real estate was actually it was um, as an owner and a, as an investor, I guess. 
Great story, right? Because you're talking about 28 years old and you're now a millionaire and you have what we call success, right? You've reached that success. And then you said, you know what? I'm done with the lifestyle of being successful because really you had to self-sabotage at that point. Made a decision, cognitive decision to say, I'm going to live my life and I'm going to give the athlete, you know, my my sports dream, your dream, right? An opportunity to live. Um, so where do you come in in the picture again? You're the yeah, rescue how did you man. Guys meet? Real like, estate how, comes in and you, and you save the deal. You save the life. It's crazy. We walked our dogs together. So <laughs> okay. I, oh, I it's a romance. <laughs> it's a bromance. It. Right. Can't compete with that. Um, we, we lived in the same building. for. I was there for 11 years. He still lives there. I just moved to the suburbs. But we'd see each other in a dog park. Um, I started doing jujitsu at the same school that he was an instructor at. So we realized we live in the same building. We walk dogs together. And organically, every night, we would spend an hour walking our dogs together. I understood his struggle with trading, and I had made a suggestion to get involved in real estate investing. Being a sharp guy and understanding investments, he took the leap of faith, and um, here we are now. He's an incredible real estate investor and a, uh, and a partner of mine with uh, a couple different ventures. It's amazing the work that he's done just because, like, I, you know, as a for a real estate agent, you know, how many years experience do you currently have, uh, Lawrence, as a so realtor? It's coming up to three. So three, not, right? Long, yeah. And I've seen some of the work that he does with his clients and how detailed he is with them in regards to the return on investment, some of the flips that he's doing. So I definitely – I'm a person where I definitely – I'm just a I magnetize, you know, just get attached to people who know what they're doing and actually have a positive influence in the communities that they're actually doing these investments in as well, too. And that's one of the things that really stood out to me with Lawrence is just it's a big picture and a big goal. Um, and unlike a lot of other people where they're doing investment, it's all about money and everything else. There's also a purpose to everything as well, too. And I think that's but it always goes back to the to bottom it. line, which is money. Right. And that's why we're here today to walk you through the process that is, you know, real estate investment. Not to say that we're not here to make money because we're all capitalists. But we're here to say is that, you know, real estate will give you the ability to sustain your lifestyle if you know how to do it and invest it correctly. And you align right. yourself with the people that know what they're doing. I mean, when I was, I went to college, graduated Purdue, and as most of you know, because I've said it a lot of times on the show, I was working at Leo Burnett in advertising, working crazy hours. We had my girlfriend here last week from um, Abigail Vivo, who was at Starcom with me, and we were working crazy hours, nine to midnight, right? Because we had to get the strategy plans out. We had to get out to in front of our $18 billion uh, um advertising companies and I wasn't doing what I wanted to do I wanted to travel so what I did was I invested in a multi-unit in Inglewood of all places but I bought this two flat for 125,000 so my payment was minimal and then I started I learned what was section 8 at that time and I started uh, renting out to section 8 tenants and my cap rates were ridiculous we were like at a 12% cap rate and this is something that I know now as an investor that I could interpret and say you know speak to you about cap rates but back then when I was doing it all I saw was okay my mom Monthly payment is nine hundred and eighty, and I'm making twenty five hundred dollars in you know rental income. And let me finish that basement, and then you know optimize my investment. But what we're here to talk to you about is that you can do it yourself. You don't have to be a twenty eight year old millionaire because, as I do recall, you said you met Mo when you were at your lowest, and the one investment that did you know appreciate and did stay true was your real estate investment. Yeah, and I think that's an important thing. So um, I have an MBA in finance, and I'm a big reader. So um, I think in my, you know, the last 10, 15 years, I've, I've always been devouring books, devouring knowledge, trying to improve myself. And I try to, try to a, a big segment of that is about inspirational biographies of successful entrepreneurs and um, a lot of finance stuff, a lot of trading stuff back from when I was trading. 
and somehow with my education, both formal and informal, um, I got sucked in this myth, and it really is a myth about, you know, oh, compound interest, if you start saving when you're 11 and you buy Apple shares when you're 93, you'll be a millionaire. And it, it really is, it, it's a, it's, there's so many fallacies in that, in that business model. It's preached, you know, you go to business school and they teach you the efficient market hypothesis, and then you graduate and then you make millions trading because the markets aren't efficient. So I, it's kind of a pet peeve of mine that the, the things they teach you, it's just, it's not real life, you know. So somehow among all this, all this, you know, so-called knowledge that I was acquiring, this amazing business model of uh, the multi-unit investment or just real estate, just real estate in general, it's kind of glossed over and, and it's, it's kind of pushed aside. And a large part of that is because, um, you know, I was, I was getting my education in the, you know, the end of the, the 1990s and then the early 2000s. And you've just had a 20-year bull run. So that kind of, in the stock market, has had this huge run up. So that kind of distorted all the numbers. So there's this common fallacy that, you know, just invest, nothing beats the stock market. But, you know, take out inflation, take out the fact that you have to live to about 110 for really compound interest to really work. Right. It, it's a joke, you know. So I think that's a big thing is Mo, Mo and I kind of, we even started, we started talking about doing rehabs and flips close to 10 years ago. Like we, we kind of talked about it. And then it was only a few years ago we really kind of got into it and we, we started our business model and, and growing that company. But I just wish that I had had someone pull me aside when I had all my, my net worth was cl you know, close to its highest and say, listen, forget about making money um, with, with high-risk instruments and forget about trying to make these huge home runs. Try to make, and that's kind of what you mentioned, Carla, about the, it's, it's a, a monthly income stream. Like if someone says to me, Hey, you've got this idea. You know, you might make fifty thousand or a hundred thousand. That doesn't impress me because I've made that, lost it, spent it, whatever. But if someone says, "Hey, this will make you six hundred dollars a month for the rest of your life," that's what impresses me. It's that it's that model where it's the income stream. So I just, I mean, there's there's a lot of books, that we, I, and that's kind of I feel like we, we we go we're talking about two different things here. One is I, we want to talk about that being such a great business model, and then kind of the existential debate of you know. You don't want to. You don't want to be that guy who who works really hard and saves money, and he ends up being wealthy on his deathbed, and he's kind of you know his life's gone by. So they're, they're kind of two different topics, but they right. they do go together, obviously. That's exactly what you know. And and you said a lot of things don't impress you, but what does impress me is just dispelling the myths of what is reality, right? Mm. Where to start? Because a lot of people have a you know idea of like we talk, we've had a lot of people come on our show. We had Inland come in and talk about you know the ten thirty one exchange, ten thirty thirty one exchange, and then investing, getting a five percent return on your investment. And then we always talk about you know flipping properties. Everybody's cash in and making a lot of money i have this idea that now is the you know optimum time to sell because this is when you're going to yield your highest yield there's not a lot of inventory so your properties of price right are going to sell right away so watch the markets take advantage of that you have experiences from the stock market perspective and i mean you you're an attorney as well mo so you you're looking at life at, from a different paradigm but here you are together in this room all of us i think at some point have become real estate investors and i just want to you know, I just want to inspire you. Like, if you're complaining about that nine to five job, if you're in that cube and you hate it, and you just want to do something different, or you know what, you're you're you want to be a life and heir. You want to take your kids out. You want to spend more time with your family, and you want to take those vacations. Stop complaining because we're here every week to give you ideas as to how to invest your money. And honestly, my story about buying a two flat, the only reason I shared is because I wasn't a 28 year old millionaire. I didn't have any cash. I actually bought with an FHA product. At that time, it was 100% financing, and all I did was leverage the lending, leverage a good credit to have the ability to purchase something and start collecting <clears throat> rents. Yes, I had to educate myself. And like Lauren said, 
had, you know, build wealth when it comes to learning and reading books, going to Section 8 meetings to learn how to manage tenants. But you have to learn. I became an investor. I became a landlord. And so every Wednesday we're here to elevate your real estate IQ and give you ideas as to what you can do to build wealth for yourself. Mo, go ahead and share your story. Yeah, I, I mean... Not getting into my story of going through law school and um, eventually getting a real estate license, but I'll give you a story of a guy who's 26 years old and he just bought a multifamily this year for $5,000 down. And I think of wealth, I've learned a lot about wealth through Lawrence actually and just watching him enjoy his life and consistently being able to create wealth for yourself over a long period of time is what's going to help you retire. When you think about retiring, you think about... I need X amount of dollars to live. Some of us need more, some of us need less. And the sooner you start to plan for that, the better. People wait until they're 40 or 50 and start planning. And it's hard to start to build consistent income, but you don't need a million dollars or $2 million to start investing. We had a guy who bought a three unit, $585,000 building using FHA financing. He lived in one of the units with $5,000 down this year and he's 26 years old. By the time he's paid that loan off when he's 56, he probably owns a seven, $800,000 property that's gonna be creating for him six to $7,000 a month in income. So start now, You know, educate yourself, get, in front of somebody who knows what they're doing, talk to your realtor, get involved now. You don't need a million, two million bucks to be a real estate investor. You could have a couple thousand bucks. And there's so many different avenues of residual income. They say the average millionaire has seven sources of income. Start now. You know, if you have Absolutely. a job, if you have a full time job, Start with a second source of income. Buy I mean, what do you have? You have a law firm. You have, a, you have a real estate office and now business ventures. I mean, do you sleep? I, I don't sleep very much. Um, do you get to enjoy life? Tell us about this new toy. Who bought the new toy? I'm sorry. I'm kind of confused. What's going right, on? He, he, just, Lawrence, he bought the newest toy. You bought the newest told toy. Me he, what he said, the goal was not to buy objects and to just live life to its fullest, but not to get sucked up with objects. You broke I, your own I, rule. I, I, uh, I'm yeah. a bad influence. <laughs> yeah, Mo is a bad influence. I, I, got I will a, say that. I got in a car accident, <laughs> so I uh, upgraded thanks to Mo. But uh, no, I think it's, but it's about living within your means. You know, I think I look back at, um, I, th I remember driving my ex-girlfriend's beat up Chevy Blazer and she had an accident. <laughs> it looked like a T-Rex had taken a corner out of the car <laughs> and you could hear it coming a block away. And that was probably when my net worth was at its highest and I would drive this thing around. I would get pulled over because I'd only have one, one light and the cops looked at me and they felt sorry for me. It always let me off, you know, like this poor, this poor guy struggling. <laughs> So, uh, so I think you it's just, want them to think you're struggling. <laughs> they can not, help you. I think it's just about living within your means. So, um, so many people, um, they either you know rent a place with a couple of roommates, or they live in a home, but they're leasing you know a, a, a car they can't afford because they want to look flashy, and they're going to the clubs and they're dropping a thousand dollars on tables, and it's all just about the image and the and the look, and it really comes down to, you know, a lot of them are young, and you know when you're young, you're trying to prove yourself. So I get it, but at the same time, like most said, just starting young is so important because it, it's a myth in the stock market when when you're looking at you know small returns that you're going to need you have to live to 100 for it to and really honestly make serious money honestly that's one of the reasons why i wanted you guys to come on to the show because i honestly think we, we keep talking about talking to our younger selves right exactly yeah. and it's like i think i would do the same thing if i could talk to my younger self i would definitely be like hey you should definitely make some other different kinds of investments especially when i was 25 26 27 years old but it's one of the things that I kind of preach to my buyers, right? It doesn't take a lot of money to be able to buy a multi-unit. A lot of people, right. for some reason, would think that they needed 20 to 25% down, right. right? 
FHA, like most stated, 3.5% down. You can use down payment assistance grants. There's conventional loan options. I talk to many real estate agents who feel that in order for you to get a conventional loan, you require 20 to 25% down on a multi-unit. There's a Freddie Mac loan option where you could do 5% down for a first-time home buyer. For me, one of the main things that I always kind of stress to the home buyers is that your first purchase is actually your best essential purchase to buy a multi-unit because it's not going to be your forever home. I always say you're never going to your first purchase is never going to be your forever home. So why not buy something that eventually when you are ready to vacate, you might be able to rent completely out, have it be a property that's going to carry some residual. Uh, for me, I always kind of go to I had a client by the name of Malcolm Graham and he had I'll never forget most painful schedule I ever had to review because he had over 17 properties. So you got to get all the PITI documents, got to get all the residuals, make sure that your DTI and everything is set. But the man was making well over a million dollars just in Schedule E net rental income. And he used to always tell me, Javier, the biggest problem with Americans is they work really hard for their money, but they don't know how to make their money work hard for them. Right. And yeah. it's important, especially as you know, the young buyers are out there, to hear these stories so that they don't make the same mistakes that we all made. So we've seen everybody, right? We come across our desk, somebody that has made this money. Why don't we get into really the nitty-gritty, the five steps to building this? Where do we get started? Who wants to go with that? How well, do you find your property? What's the process? Well, I think the first thing is knowledge. So if you don't know it yourself, you know, seek out someone that does. So if someone comes to me and, and, and I can explain about what areas I like and, and, and business models I like, but if they ask me, they, they want legal advice, I'll tell them to talk to Mo. If they want lending advice, I'll give them Javier's number. So, you know, e either find find the information out yourself or just get the right knowledge, the right team around you to help you and then and then leverage what you've got. You know, I, I bought a lot of places and I'm not I'm not above asking my dad, hey, dad, can I borrow, you know, 80,000 down payment because I want to buy this place. I'll pay you back in a few months. Like I use what I've got, you know, I'm I'm ruthless. You know? <laughs> so so uh, so, yeah, that's the first thing is just is just get the good because you know, it depends. Like like um, Mo's example of one of our colleagues, um, a great guy, fireman. He, he has a few other job, real estate agent. Um, he just got his appraisal license. He's he's a great, great. He's actually he reminds me of a younger me. He's such a hustler and he, he's really motivated to, to do well. Um, so in his case, you know, he could use his real estate commission to buy for nearly nothing down. Um, but but that FHA route's great. Um, I think the big thing is you just have to. It's got to be the right building. It, in a in an ideal w world, you're getting a good three unit which doesn't need much work. You're living in one unit for the first year, and the rent from the other two is going to be the paying all your bills, um, your mortgage, your tax, your water, your um, insurance, all that stuff. And then after a year, you'd move out. You'll get a tenant in where you were living, and then you have like a net positive um, cash flow building. Right. So that's the ideal world. Sometimes, it, you know, it's you, for the first year, you might be paying a little bit to live because the income from the other units isn't covering it, um, and, and it is becoming harder. You know, it, the last couple of years, the markets are grinding higher, so the acquisition costs are a bit higher. But, um, but yeah, that's the first step. Is just so the first <laughs> step is aligning yourself with somebody that knows what they're doing in order for to help you identify a pro a project. Exactly, yeah, and knowledge. You, right, the knowledge, yeah, and then yeah. the second, you know, secret is more so the the property itself, how to find it. Exactly. And as we know, right, Mo, you're in the real estate business. Sure. It's really hard to find something in I've this been, market. In this is. market, yeah. so I think uh, now in because of the shifting market, we're going to say patience, <laughs> right? Because it's so hard, and people get overwhelmed because they want it, they want it now. But in order to find that right property, and you're not buying properties that are rehab, right? You're buying stuff that's distressed or stuff that um, not necessarily distressed in the 
acquisition aspect of it, but just it needs rehab, it needs work? Well, Mo and I do both. So I've been actually, like you said, it's so hard to find good properties. Um, that's we, We've been buying distressed properties getting them rehabbed, and then I've been buying them from our, back from ourselves, you know, if that makes sense. Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay, that's so, a secret. Wait, so you, <laughs> well, no, you no, buy so, a property, so, no, no. you rehab it, and then you buy so it from yourself. Well, so, so if, if I have investors, I'll give them the return. So so basically, you have you have your, your project to buy, then you have the, the money it's going to cost to rehab it, your soft costs and everything, then your, fu- your full budget, then you have um, your profit when you sell it. So if I come in and I put in... 50% of the project myself and I have someone else put in 50% the whatever price we sell it at half the profit will go to him so we just have to find an end buyer so I try and I've, I've been I've been doing that the last couple I bought there were my own rehabs mm-hmm. just because there isn't too much on the market um, but I'm actually in the middle of I got some inspections later today um, for a building that's that I found you know hopefully it's a good one I think it is but you just have to jump on it like I'm I, I'm doing two searches a day three searches a day I'm looking in certain areas, what I'm looking for. And then as soon as something comes out, you, you got to see it. So where do you find offering. the properties? What's that like? And I know that Mo has uh, has played a role so, into as an attorney. In- yeah, so I think Mo and I, like if you look at the city, and I guess you go from pretty much where we are now with downtown Chicago, and you know anything around here is too expensive. So as you start going out from the center, you're very broadly speaking, um, there's three areas you're looking at. You're one kind of on the north side, Logan Square, Avondale, one round by the United Center, straight west from the city, and then one kind of in Pilsen um, the, on the southwest. So they're, they're kind of your three areas you're looking at where that's that's where you're going to be to make it affordable because everything else close to the, ci- to the city is too expensive. Um, and Mo and I, we like Pilsen a lot. We've been focusing there um, for many reasons. But it's just, you, you know, everything everything is risk and reward. You know, like there's so many things you have to – on every metric you're looking at, you're looking at, you know, how, how much, how bad the crime rate is in the area, how long it will take to sell, how much demand there is for end buyers, um, you know, w- what's the demographic, how easy it is to rent, like how many natural built-in renters are there, what is happening in, in the next few years to the area. So if you look at all these metrics together, it just seems that Pilsen's kind of our, our sweet spot right now. So that's and he just went through all the five, right? All it's, five. He, he, hit <laughs> like all. he had like, put through like seven it's out there. <laughs> you know, but like one of the things where, like for, where I use the multi-unit investment, you know, initially for the first home purchase, like on average, I'll have like a, someone who has student loans or something, maybe debt to income, limit them for like a $250,000, you know, purchase price. Right. Especially we all know, like, in, especially in the northwest side of Chicago, to find something under 250000 that is like moving ready or something like that is almost impossible it doesn't happen it doesn't happen And i think people need to understand the values because again and you know we're always talking about our national show and we're what are we talking so we don't get specifics but just going back to the neighborhood aspect of it you you talked about avondale you talk about long and square a lot of people are going up to edgewater these are the hot neighborhoods you know it's on redfin everybody wants to be on there yeah but Going back to but to, to there's just a limitation location. in regards to you know the average single family home in these areas are somewhere between three hundred to four hundred thousand sometimes a little bit north of that, so that's where a multi unit vehicle kind of comes in because now you can go and purchase this five hundred six hundred thousand dollar property a multi unit maybe a three flat or a four flat, and you're able to use the rental income that the property will generate to help you qualify for the loan. Right. So it would take someone who maybe has a limitation on a single family home purchase of two fifty all the way up to maybe a $500,000 purchase price because maybe there's 
$3,000 in residual rental income that you're going to receive. And also your so loan limits, an appraiser, right? Yeah, right. and the loan limits also increase based off of the amount of units. But an appraiser, what he's going to do, he's going to not only do or an she. appraisal, or she, he or she, not only are they going to do an appraisal evaluation, they're also going to do a net operating income schedule to kind of give you an analysis of exactly what kind of market rent you're going to be receiving in the area, what kind of expenses it takes you know, for you to be able to maintain a property like that. And then that allows you to be able to qualify for more home. One cautionary uh, tip I have for somebody who's going to do a multifamily to live in, try to find the best return but also best condition you can if you're going to live yes. in it and it's going to be a right. long-term purchase so if you're listening and you're young and you want to do this don't just look at return right now so if you find a place that's got a little bit of a better return and that's you know property a and property b is in a lot better condition and this is a plan to hold it for a long time but property b is going to cost you less in the next five six seven years to to update, hold and yeah. update, um, property B might be better. And you have to look at the overall picture. So I right. tell people condition is a big part of it. If you buy yes. a building that needs a new roof, needs new windows, and it's not just a home, it's a whole building's worth, over a long period of time, property A, which looks like it's a better return, might not be. And especially for somebody who's buying this to live in it for a little bit and then turn it into a rental property, I tell them, Think long-term, so make sure you get the right inspection. If this is the type of property, and I look at investors as, you're buying distressed properties to flip, or you're buying them to hold. If you're a buy and hold person and you don't wanna put a lot of money in it, condition for me, guys, look at condition. It's one of the most important things in getting into a uh, real estate investment. I think that's a great, Absolutely. great advice, uh, and great secret too, though, because as skeptics, people are gonna say, oh, you just wanna spend more money, right? And then yep. you get the investor who wants, is so excited about being an investor, They're, they wanna buy these two flats because it's a new hip thing. We can't keep two flats or multi-unit properties on the market, they're selling like hotcakes. But you're confusing yourself. You're overwhelming yourself because you're wanting to buy something that needs work because now you want to rehab and you want to flip because you want to do that too because you heard it on you know whatever HGTV. It's a sexy think, thing to do. Now. Yeah, yeah but then you're stuck in this property that needs a lot of work when you could have just borrowed the money to buy something that's already turned key or rehab or move-in ready and you don't have the headaches. I think that's a big thing because you know I've done I'm I'm probably working on my eighth, ninth, and tenth right now, or twelfth, thirteenth. I've I've done a lot Show of these up. things already. No, no. But the <laughs> point the point 16. is yeah, the point know. is I haven't I don't even pretend to know anything about construction. I have a great construction guy, so I have a great crew, and I know they take care of it. So I think that's the thing. I mean, occasionally Mo and I, you know, will go over some the architect. He does my my builder's not going to like the layout, and he'll email it to us, and we'll say, yeah, you know, it, it, we can move a few things around. But they they take care of everything. Um, so so I'm so we're outsourcing it. Too many people watch these shows like Property Brothers, and they're like, "Yeah, I'm going to buy a place and this and that." But but a lot of people that that are that are trying to do it on the side, they also have their nine to five, and that kind of ties in. They have no idea, I guess, what they're biting off. And and I see that I see with clients a lot of places where I'm like, "Yeah, this guy's going to lose money because you know he had the wrong contractor that ran away with his money, so he ended right. up doing it himself, and it looks awful, and he can't sell it." And so that's one thing. Don't don't bite off more than you can chew. If you have a career. And you're making money, uh, and you want to do something as as a second source of income. Make sure you get, like Mo said, like a world rehab place that's not going to give you problems, financial problems down the road. But also, if you're living there, or even if you're not living there, if you're just a, a landlord, you got to think about your time. Time is money. That's another thing about this show is you know, that's the one commodity we have that every second we're never going to get back. Um, you know, we can always make money down the road, but our, our youth and our time we can't. 
So you you want to you don't want to give yourself problems if you're living somewhere and you have to always you know people are calling this is breaking that's breaking the roof's leaking, and I've been on vacation on my second day on vacation when I was relaxing and I had a call that my commercial roof was leaking and they were freaking out and I was paying a management company to manage it. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jesus, I'm on vacation it's having a good time until and damn it my my tenants are calling you know it, the it people was, that are it, paying for your vacation. No, no, but but the, the, <laughs> the, the, the point is that the stress of that I'm like trying to relax Later. and. And I, I'm, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm paying. Carla needs a vacation. Carla needs a vacation. So but, but it's like I'm paying a management company so that they take care of this. And for some reason, they were being slow. So these people got hold of me and they're freaking out. They're like, there's real water coming in, blah, blah, blah. And I'm thinking, Jesus, like, <laughs> I work hard. When I go away, I want to relax. So I think that's, that's the thing about um, being preemptive. Like, right now, I have, have a great roofing company. They come out, they do every year, they do, um, they just do touch ups and they check all the roofs are good because that's one thing I never want to deal with again. But it's just like Mo said, like the, the maintenance on a property, don't just look at the initial numbers, look at the 10 year projection. How much are you going to be putting in in repairs in 10 years? And how much hassle and headache is that going to be? And I think for most people, they're going to want pretty much a turnkey finished place um, and, and, and then just do something smart on the loan side so they don't have to deal with all that. And right. leverage lending right now, I mean, if you can, because. What's $100,000 on a mortgage right now? $425, $450? It's about 400 bucks. 400 bucks. You're looking at about 400 450 I was actually kind of giving an example. I actually had a client. She came into my office. She was referred by one of my agents. You know, She was probably looking at about $250,000 price point. That's why I kind of used that example. We ended up get, finding her a four-unit property um, over in the Jefferson Park area for $479,000. Okay. Down payment's roughly going to be the 3.5% down, 18561 But the property was just recently renovated, so new kitchens, new bathrooms, and everything. Each unit, the first two units, are probably going to get her about $1,400 in, in rental income. She's going to use one unit. Yeah. It's going to probably, the, the, the garden unit is about really another 1000 So she's probably gener- going to generate a total of roughly, let's say, about $3,800. Her monthly payment on this property is going to be thirty five fifty six. So as opposed to actually paying for a mortgage herself, you know, she's a single mom, she's actually going to save now, you know, by purchasing this property. She was paying $1,300 in rent, and now she's actually buying something. That, so, so that's an important <clears throat> thing. So there's, there's, that's great. So she, if you can get the business model working so that you're not – you can basically live for free, it's great because you're saving whatever you'd pay on, on a mortgage of a single place or, or rent if you're renting – um, but the other thing you're doing that I think is really important, it's, it's like a, it's a built-in retirement model. That's also yes. great because if we take out the fact that it's going to appreciate over time with inflation, which it will. So you have the inflation hedge on the one side. But then secondly, every month you're, as you're paying, your tenants are paying down your loan, part of that loan is, is your principal. So it's like an automated thing where every month some of your income is going to a savings account, which is basically what it is. And then down the road, if you ever want to pull that out, you can refinance it, pull out the money, use that as a down payment on a second on a second building or a fifth building or a twelfth building. So that's kind of that's such that's why it's so important again to start young because once you've got a few, and the market's not always going to be creeping up like it's creeping up now. Right. You're going to have these lulls, but when you don't have a lull, like when you have a lull in the market, so even if an appraiser would appraise your property slightly below what you bought it for, it doesn't matter for you because you're not selling it. You have a positive cash flow. You can just wait it out. But then when it is appreciating, then you can refinance, pull the money out. Exactly. And that's one of the most important things that I tell my buyers about buying this as their first – I'm going to keep hitting this until it hits everyone home, okay? 
I look at property right now as same as a stock option. I remember growing up, you know, in the 80s and everything else, property was always appreciating. Everybody told you, buy property, buy property, buy property. It will never depreciate. But we saw the housing market crash, right? Right. The main goal about buying a multi-unit with such a low investment, okay, is that in the event that there's another market crash or anything like that, their actual initial out-of-pocket investment is minimal, mm. all right? Yeah. Think about a $400,000, $500,000 purchase. If you're only going to do 3.5% down, 18000 that's not bad. Mm. Now, if you're going to do this as an investment purchase where you're doing 25% down and all of a sudden the market crashes, property depreciates in value, mm. that's significant net money out of your pocket that you just lost. Right, but we're talking about but, appreciation over but, time. So but, real estate is an appreciating asset. So but, even but when you're we able have to take lows, on an asset with a very low initial risk. It, exactly. And right. you're talking about two types of investors, so right? every we're market goes up and down. Buy and hold versus every, yeah. Yep. Yeah, every market's going to go up and down. I'm a foreclosure defense attorney. So I've seen, when, when this crisis happened, I've seen every which way from commercial properties to golf courses to hotels going in right. foreclosure. And every market that goes up at some point has to come down. If you have a property that's producing income and you can hold out a bad market, it will come back up again. Exactly. It'll never keep going down forever. You know, the market crashed in 2008, came down 9, 10, 11, 12. We didn't know where the bottom was. In 13, it went up. People who are not producing income, so you own your home, you live in it. If you lose your job, you can't pay that mortgage, you go into foreclosure. Now, if you've bought a multifamily property intelligently and it's got renters and right. they're giving you at least enough income to cover your expense, low likelihood you end up having to sell during a bad market. The only reason a bad market becomes bad as a real estate investor is if you have to sell in that bad market. Right, right. So if you're in a bad market and it's producing income, like Lauren said, don't worry about that property value. Yes, exactly. it's, it sucks. If you see your property value lower than you bought it at in that moment, it's going to make you feel bad. But if you're going to hold it for a long term and you're okay not selling in that bad market, so what? The market will get strong again. Every market goes up and goes down. It's going to happen. I'm not a doomsday guy where guys are saying, guys and gals, the market's going to crash. There's I don't think the opportunity. There's always I don't an think opportunity. The precursors yeah. are there to create the crash that happened mm -hmm. before. I think people who keep saying, "Oh, it's going to crash like it did in 08," I think they're wrong, and I would challenge anybody to have that argument with me. But it'll cool off yeah. and it'll go hot again. So but, as long as you buy smart, you're okay to wait out a bad market. Right. And I think the the one thing. So I mean, forgive me, I keep going back to trading, but that's where I came from. So um, the volatility in the stock market the last four decades compared to real estate, I think it's real estate is a quarter of the volatility, which means like flying up and down. Right. Um, so you have that. It's a lot more stable. That's a great thing. Um, and I had another point, but it just escaped me. Well, um, the whole concept of, of buying safe, and let's go back to being conservative as an investor, is the fact that if you're buying to hold a property and you're going to live in it like well, safe, like and live in it and, and live for free, per se, I mean, let's go back to that first-time buyer who has that concept of, I'm renting for $1,300. Or let's face it, I'm still with my parents because, you know, I don't have you know this, the, the, the right means to do it. And maybe mom and dad are going to help me buy this product. It's going from $1,300 to how much? Eighteen hundred, you said. Thirteen hundred. What are they paying for the four fifty acquisition? Uh, total mortgage payment is thirty five fifty six. Thirty five fifty six, but, but of that gonna, you're they getting. They have two units. They're going to generate fourteen hundred dollars each. 
Okay. And one unit generates a thousand. So right. they're going to be generating a total of thirty eight hundred dollars per month on rental income. Right. So it's just leveraging the fact that you have uh, the ability to get a loan for it, right? Right. And even when the market goes down and people start losing their homes, because that was what happened in the recession, and the problem was that people had single family homes. Well, we had the concept of buying condos before they were built, and we were paying overpaying for condos, right? But, single but family usage. A good a good example, Carlos. Sorry to cut you off, but I had just moved here when I bought my condo, and I remember my trading company gave my first bonus. And I went to a lender. I had nothing. I was from England. I didn't have a credit history. I had nothing. He's like, oh, you want to buy a condo? Great. Foreign national. <laughs> Boom. He, he, sign this. It's yours. I was like, oh, it's kind of easy. And now, you know, now I'm an established guy. I'm do, working with, with Javier right now for a loan for this building I'm trying he to buy. He denied you already? No, the, the amount of- He denies everybody. The amount oh, of paperwork. He should know buys a McCann with this guy. That's what happened. That was my it's, fault. The point yeah. is, it, they, they've made lending so much harder. You're, it's just, it's, you're in the business. It, it's and crazy. you went ahead and bought something while going in underwriting? I'm on Facebook and I'm like, no, no. wait, is, is, is there a Porsche dealership right now? Are they? I had a car accident. I had a car accident. I had to get a new car. That was- <laughs> Listen, tell me but, the story. No, but, Go but ahead. Guess, Don't justify so, your expenses. So, uh, so I guess with, I mean, the, the other point, I, I lost my train of thought. But when I was talking about the stock uh, market analogy, and you know, the, the the I love working with Mo because, like like he said, he got into law when he was dealing with a lot of foreclosure cases. So he's kind of, I'm I'm naturally a risk taker and a leveraged person. I want to take risks, and he kind of pulls me back and he makes sure that they're the right risk and that every risk, you know, risk every adverse avenues covered. You know, every base covered. But the one thing about, you know, that you have these old sayings, you know, as safe as houses. Well, where did that come from? Enron was the top, um, you know, oil company in the world, but we didn't, all the investors that invested millions in it, in the shares, they didn't realize that behind the scenes, there was all these shady practices. That stock went to zero. You lost everything. If you buy a brick four unit, it's never going to be worth nothing ever. You know, so that, I think that's, that's a big point too, is number one, you have about a quarter of volatility of the, of the stock market. Number two, you have income from your tenants, which can wait out bad periods. Even if you lose your job, you, that will still enable you to pay the rent. Um, and number three, you're, you're, you know, you're buying land in a, in a desirable city. It's going to be very, very, very unlikely for it to ever really take a huge hit. You know, you're going to have. And that goes back to location, though, right? One of your secrets, I think, going back Definitely. was knowledge, location, yep. and condition. I mean, going back to location, if you do your due diligence, right? Even if the market does go down, there's always going to be a Pockets. demand. Exactly. You're like, going to have, yeah. yeah, so you're going to have, so in general, you know, I've been living in Streeterville um, ever since I moved to Chicago. It's close to 15 years. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. So you're farming and building and working in Pilsen, but then you live in Streeterville? What's that all about? Been, been here since I moved. He, he, <laughs> likes, he likes running no, shirtless think, by the yeah. lake. That's, yeah. that's the legitimate. No, that's actually, running shirtless so, down Pilsen Street. AT Street is pretty cozy. I don't know you that, that's actually, okay with that. That's, but, actually, yeah. no, no, that's actually a great point. So, um, so I remember when I, I was young, when I bought my condo, I think I was 23. And, um, and I asked my dad, I was like, hey, dad, I want to buy this condo. You know, it's not, I know it's probably not going to appreciate much because I'm buying per, you know, in the most expensive per square foot in Chicago. <laughs> and he was like, who cares how much it appreciates? You want to live there. So I think there's a big difference. I want all my investment buildings in the sweet spot of investments. Right. I want to live where I want to live. And also I'm in my mid-30s now, so I'm, I'm not looking to – scrimp and save but i think that's what we we touched on before yeah. when you're 23 24 25 you, you don't really care so much where you live at least for a year you can take the hit okay i'm gonna live in this area it's not my ideal area where i'd live but the numbers make sense i'll live there for one year then i'll move out and, right. and i'll go so i didn't have to do that because i had enough cash which i begged borrowed and steal stole uh to, to put 25 percent <clears throat> down so i didn't need to do it but even even now if, if i had to I'd live anywhere. I'd live. I'd live anywhere for a year as long as I'm. It's not the absolute. 
That's key well, though, like the location kidding. in regards to your investment, you know, because a lot right. of people sometimes get caught up in where they want to live and where they're going to make that investment. And that's I'm actually just working with a client now. He's closing on a multi-unit next week, and he's he, he had the right attitude. He's like, you know, what? I want to have a, a real nice loft condo in the West Loop, but I'll do that next year. I'll live in this multi-unit this year. I'll buy that next year, and that's. Yeah. A lot of times people buy multifamilies and say, and they don't even move in, but they're worried about, ah, I want to be in Lincoln Park. Well, the return is a whole lot lower yeah. than going to Pilsen yeah. or going to Avondale. Or, you know, sometimes in, I have a guy I work with who's in the northwest suburbs, you know, Gurney, Round Lake. And they say, well, I, I want to live in, you know, I want my building to be in Lincoln Park. Right. But you're buying for return. And, and again, yeah. don't necessarily go buy in a place. And I think Lawrence touched on it very early. The ability to make sure that you're getting consistent rental income yes. is, is very smart. So you don't want to buy in a place where historically you have a lot of vacancy. So yeah. I think vacancy rates, you, you got to watch that. So right. those up and coming pockets are very important. But if you're not living in the building, who cares if it's not in Lincoln Park or <laughs> right. Lakeview or in the Burley School District? Now, right. and, but then let's go back, because gentlemen, because let's a... not confuse it, because we were talking about owner-occupant, too. Right. Obviously, if you're going to buy to well, owner-occupy, you have to give up something, right? If it's yes. going to pay up, pay, so, it, so, pay it itself, then you buy it because it's going to pay itself, so, and you're going to sacrifice location. For one year. But less, <clears throat> for one year. One year for, yeah. Let's for go one back year. to the rules of buying as an owner-occupant. You can Owner-occupant, you can only close one transaction as an owner-occupied within a 12-month period. And you got to move right. in within so you 60 have an days. occupancy affidavit, so you have to move in within 60 days, and you have to occupy the property for 12 months. It has to be your intention to occupy it as your primary residence. I right. tell people that. So you, it cannot really be your intention to make this a investment property only. Right. You can't essentially um, say you're buying it. And the attorney in the room. Yeah, this is the attorney <laughs> and me talking. That's but, considered loan fraud. Yeah, <laughs> don't <laughs> do that. Go, but, but, but you have to live in there for at least a year. But that's a good thing for a 1031 exchange, right? We talked about it. You have to hold it for at least one year so you can use it. If you sell it after that year, you can tap a hundred percent of that the profits into and put it into another investment tax defer. Not only that, but this is like an awesome thing for veterans. Actually, Lawrence and I were working with one of his buddies who's a veteran, right? So a veteran can actually purchase a home up to 100% down if they stay within their conforming loan limits on a multi-unit, right? And then they're able to do a purchase, you know, based off of the conforming loan limits and the notice of value. But, like, for veterans in specific, if they can find a multi-unit, say a two-unit, within the conforming loan limits, they can get 100% financing on that, occupy the property for up to 12 months. If they do improvements in the property and everything else, they could later either convert that loan into a conventional loan when they decide to vacate the property, reestablish all of their VA benefits once again, and use their VA benefits to purchase another home 100% down. Right. So a, I've seen a lot of veterans who've actually used their VA loan benefit as a way for them to become eventual investors. Right. They start over purchasing real estate. This. Over time, they build it. It's not going to happen And guess what? Overnight. Here's another secret. The VA has programs so that they can you know, find uh, rentals for property, so they're more than happy to find tenants for you. Right. So another opportunity. Gentlemen, I do have a question online. It's um, from Nico asking, what's the biggest risk in the present market? Who wants to take that? Do you want to go ahead, Mo? Sure. Um, the attorney. The attorney. The attorney, how can we get in trouble with this? Well, I, I mean, <laughs> set aside loan fraud. I mean, and don't commit that. People were doing that. I mean, that's a risk. But I think uh, Nico probably means what's the risk of becoming a real estate investor right now? The short-term risk, you buy now at a purchase price, and it the market softens a little bit. But again, I think if you're buying with the mindset that you're buying for a long period of time, and that's that's your idea, I think you're fine. And if you're the flip guy who's flipping right now, you know if you buy if, if you if your acquisition is safe, and you have the right group of people who are letting you know, hey, listen, this is what the renovation is going to cost, and, and that's a in the 
we're talking about two different things. One's the buy and hold. And I don't think there's a lot of risk to buy and hold if you're going to do long-term right now. I think the risk is very low. On the buy and renovate side, I've seen a lot of these things go south because the person who's letting them know, hey, it's going to cost $100,000, $200,000, just completely misses yeah. the boat. Yeah. So you have to acquire at the right price point, and then you have to write, have the right team of people who are going to tell you it's this much because you can't give a very round number. you got to be pretty precise because the profit margins in this market where acquisition costs are high are smaller than they are when acquisition costs are low. Construction costs haven't gone up that much. You know, The cost of a kitchen or the cost of tile hasn't increased enough um, to make a really substantial difference. So I had a guy recently who bought a multifamily. He thought it was going to cost about $150,000 to renovate. It was two seventy-five. Okay. Wow. That's a big That's difference. A Somebody that he hired told him one fifty. When it turned out to be two seventy-five, because there was a lot of things that needed to be done, right. that, that ruined it for him. That ruined an investment and put a sour taste in his mouth, so he's probably not going to be a repeat investor. So the biggest risk right now is if you're in the flip world, make sure you have the right contractors and the right construction team to guide you. Yeah, well, and that's a whole other subject. I mean, the, just the flipping business is yeah, so like, intricate. We're not like take take the flipping the whole the whole thing out. The one risk Mo mentioned was the market softens a little bit, so you're you know you're buying it and then the market cools off and you know it comes off a few percent. Um, that's kind of mitigate. I'm a I'm a big picture guy, so I'm from Europe, so I look at European prices. I look at East Coast, West Coast, and Chicago. I look at what you're buying for a building, and I have. I have friends that, that run that run investment funds in London, and they're like, wait, what are you paying for this four-unit brick building that makes 7,000 income? Like, they're blown away by the numbers. So I think the numbers you're buying here, it's not like you're buying in Silicon Valley where you're, you're buying you know, a $30 million home that could easily go down to $23 million. Your, your, your acquisition costs, uh, they're not high enough to really get killed. So I think in terms of his question about the risk, you do have some margin of safety there. And then we talked about the income being able to sustain you over periods where, you know, the market cools off. But I think the other risk that we didn't really talk about is when you buy a place, when you run the numbers, um, if it like, like Javier's example was great. I think she was, she was making a couple of hundred dollars over her mortgage from her income. She, no, no problems. That money would cover her tax and her insurance likely. So she doesn't have any problems. But what happens if, you know, two years down the road, okay, you need a new roof, there's there's flooding now, you've got to do do all the plumbing, you know, you need, you know, the furnaces go out, you have all these other problems. So to protect yourself against that stuff about, uh, uh, to protect yourself against expenses down the road, um, skyrocketing, you just have to have a really good inspector. That's, that's the, you know. Right. Absolutely. And then gentlemen, that's, I let think me that's ask probably you a question. the biggest key. When you buy a property, are you, so are you, re we're recommending that if you're buying to owner occupy, it'd be in the best condition for the best use so you don't have to deal with it. You oh. leverage all your debt amount or your borrowing power so you can buy something that's turnkey. Right. And if you're an investor that's going to be investing maybe 25%, 20% for, you can buy something that needs rehab, fix it, and you put tenants in there, you increase the cap rate, and then you have a good business, correct? Right. And I think that the thing that um, I, I'm, I'm ever since that flooding incident I had, I'm very um, I've got a few things that I'll do every year. So I'm going to get my guys out every year or two to do all the tuck pointing. I'm not going to let the brick really deteriorate. Right. I'm going to get my roofing guy, exact maintenance, come out every year and check. So so you're doing the preemptive maintenance. You're putting a little bit. So instead of taking your you know, if you're making a thousand bucks a month on your mortgage, you know what? Take take eight hundred, put two hundred back every month. That's twenty four hundred a year. Use that to get to get a you know a thousand to get a roofing company to come out and just do some touch ups. Maybe use the rest on some tuck pointing. So you're just doing the big ticket items. So you're always going to have little things breaking, 
But I think that's, I think that always, and Mo and I, I think we're both on the same page about this. We're both long-term guys. We always look at the long-term picture. So when I'm running the numbers, that's always something you're factoring in. You know, how much long-term, you're, you're trying to protect, I mean, everything in life, every, is, every investment is risk and reward, right? What's your reward? What's your risk? So his question is, is a good one. Of course, there's risk in everything, but you kind of, you've got all your bases covered. And I just, I'm, it, what other investment in, in a good property, like the one that I'm negotiating with right now, the cash on cash return of my 25% is going to be about 10%. So I'm making 10% investment. The, 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 the quote for the risk-free um, is, is a U.S. government bond that's supposed to be risk-free, <laughs> which isn't even risk-free. That's a whole nother show because the U.S. <laughs> is probably going to default yeah. soon. Yeah. So. But it's inevitable at some point. So that's a whole other show. But so that's that's your your risk free. I don't know what the ten year bond is. It's probably two percent or something crazy. So, but risk free is to sit at home and do what you're doing now and don't make any changes. That's risk free. Everything has risk. And then, no, I meant, and I then meant you're not going to get it. You're, right. right. But so I'm just being silly oh, because so yeah, uh, you yeah. know it's like there so is risk in everything you're going to do. Right. But I think in terms of Nico's question, the, mm. so if you're getting ten percent cash on cash return and you do all these things we mentioned. You get the right property in the right area in a market where yeah we're up we're up over the last few years, but I'm happy to to, to invest at these prices and you're locking in loans where pretty much interest rates are historically we're at 200 year lows you know we're a tiny bit off the low but you're locking in interest rates that are very very cheap and you get the right property and you're getting your inspection you're covering your bases your risk is it's incredibly minimal for the return you're getting. It's one unbelievable. Thing, one thing I would note is if you are doing a multifamily and you have renters, if you have tenants, mm-hmm. make sure to vet your tenants too at the beginning. Yep. That's yeah. a risk I that I would- I want to say that's number four. Huge, yeah. That's yeah, a big and one. And the income. And, and if, if, do a background check, do a credit check, and don't feel bad. I, I'm, oh. I'm, a, I'm a nice guy, I feel bad <laughs> for everybody. I, I truly do. <laughs> but I, I advise my legal clients or my real estate clients do the proper vetting because especially if you're buying in Chicago and I've been on your show before talking mm-hmm. about, you know, landlord tenant nightmares. Yeah. You can, you can push a landlord tenant case out really far. If you're a tenant and you know what you're doing Yeah, and that takes away just like a capital expenditure in your building would from your income. So I'm very, very big on making sure that you put the right tenants in. And if it means passing on one or two tenants to get the third one, that's the right tenant do it. Don't feel bad and rush and oh, say, yeah. oh my God, three weeks have gone by. I don't have a tenant in my place. I'm just going to take whoever applies. Don't do that. That's so true because I, I closed on a place in the end of December, came back from, I went home for Christmas, came back and I was like, man, January in Chicago, good luck, four unit, trying to find four tenants. I warned them not to. So, uh, so I, I, <laughs> I, I, you know, I did the credit checks and I should know better, but I had a guy who was very borderline, you know, a guy from Italy, I'm from London, we, we bonded. I was like, ah, oh, he's a great guy, I trust him. Oh no. And he Italian. And he ended up, he ended up, <laughs> Like a business. Yeah, right. I always tell everybody, run exactly. it like a business. Exactly. Mo and I, and uh, he ended up being an absolute nightmare and costing me, you know, uh, a lot of missed rent. And um, and it's just, it was, it was a good reminder because I should have known better. <laughs> I, you know, if you close in a building in December, you have to remember, you know, give up a few months. It's going to take you a few months to get good times. It's always, it's the same thing with even choosing a property. I guess the more you do upfront to save yourself problems down the road. That's always the key. So right. yeah. if you have to spend a lot more Well, for my time- buyers, I always tell them like the main three things, right? Number one, always get a home inspection and don't be yep. cheap with your home inspection. Yep, exactly. Don't shop around for like yep. who's going to give you the lowest price. If you're buying a multi-unit, definitely spend your dollar for that home inspection. Number two, 
definitely make sure to meet the tenants of the property if you're going to be owner occupying because right. you are going to be sharing living space and stuff like that so you want to make sure that you're going to be able to live with them live exist. with them right yeah. and exactly how long are their leases currently in place for because that's going to be important and you know the third option is you know, make, making sure that you're in a good location obviously location is definitely key uh, but I want to thank everyone for tuning into another segment of we're not closing out no we're not closing out right now <laughs> yeah. well you know what we, we, we like have all these we're he's kicking us out he's kicking us out he's everybody like, out of here I'm looking <laughs> yeah. here I got 15 my seconds left running on this clock. anyway <laughs> uh, someone's in my ear okay well we want to thank you but for coming out you guys we great information the five secrets thank to you. building residual wealth right um, you said knowledge I like yourself with an expert and I think we say that here every week mm-hmm. location condition and I want to add the property management and the maintenance ongoing you know we talked about section yeah. 8 right you don't a lot of people frown upon it I don't know why because you get that check every it's month and then you check. get yeah. uh, you have to do an reinspection every six months so it's a great way to maintain your property and know what's sure. happening and then of course the income aspect of it if you're going to buy to hold I'm, you want something that's turnkey and you want to leverage your, your money that you're borrowing so that you can have something ready and don't worry about being that 10 unit investor that's yeah. going to come later and trust me your cap rates on a 10 unit are going to be by far better than living in a building but these are long term goals and I assure you you're going to have you know residual wealth and then you can go back and enjoy your life and be a 28 year old life and heir. And the, but that's that's the secret, isn't it? So if you if you have a business model where you have to scrimp and save for 80 years, then on your deathbed you're very wealthy. What's the point of that, right? But by getting this residual income, I have a friend that owns three buildings and he's very frugal, and uh, and he took a couple of years off work. He was like, oh, hated his job. He took a few years off, traveled the world, did his did his thing, and then he just came back. He got another job. Now he's trying to buy another building. So eventually he's trying to get. He needs one or two more buildings, and then he can just live. His basic expenses are covered with that income. So I think that's the key. I think that's one key is just getting that residual income early, and then it kind of snowballs. And uh, the other key, I read a great book called Mistakes Millionaires Make After I Made All My Mistakes, which I read it before. <laughs> uh, one great, great point that really stuck with me was don't, and we talked about this, we touched on it, but I want to I stress it. You can't rely on one income stream. If you're making 500000 a year, you're, you're balling, you're doing great with one income stream and something happens to that and suddenly it goes from plus 500 to minus 500, you're in a lot of trouble. If you have four or five income streams, one of them goes under, even a minimum two, then then you can always survive. And I think that's a big thing with Mo, he, he touched on that. But I think that having this, if people that have their career have this as a completely separate second income stream. And then, and then it really reduces your risk. Love it. Great advice. Yeah. And he said he didn't want to be on the show. Look at him. You've Oops. taken up all the airtime, Lawrence. <laughs> They're in my ear already. Close out, Javier. Thank you so all much right. for well, watching, guys. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in today's segment. If you guys are interested to connect with us, make sure to look us up on all of our subscriptions on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. We can, you can check all of our videos from past shows and give us your feedback. We want to know what do you want to hear from us. See you in the next show. Bye-bye. Oh, 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 oh,